Michiganders can be a superstitious bunch. We find all sorts of reasons to explain the world around us, sometimes pulling from science, sometimes tradition, and sometimes from our imaginations. What happens when we can't readily explain our experiences? And what happens when a ghost story gets out of hand? Do these legends stem entirely from fantasy? Or are people seeing things no one can truly explain? I'm Krista K. Coburn. And I'm Kay Gray. Welcome to Haunted Mitten. you all for listening thank you for sticking around during the long break or finding us if this is your first episode and thank you listeners for putting up with our crazy first season the pandemic really put a twist in our schedule but hopefully season two will be right on track we appreciate all of you sticking it out with us and we welcome any new listeners this season we've got a lot of spooky content planned so let's get started it's been called the most haunted city in michigan For its size, it boasts a good number of supposedly haunted buildings owing to its rich history and storied past. Walking down Marshall streets might make you believe you really have gone back in time. It's a treasure trove of 19th and early 20th century architecture, and strolling down the sidewalk or by the fountain gives you the feeling you should be wearing a waistcoat or long skirt instead of jeans and a t-shirt. Marshall was founded in 1830 by Sidney Ketchum, a land surveyor from New York. He named the town Marshall, as so many others did, after Chief Justice John Marshall. At one time, the city was thought to be chosen as the state's capital, and one of the buildings we'll be talking about tonight, the Governor's Mansion, was built in anticipation of that title. Alas, Lansing won instead, but that didn't take Marshall out of the spotlight. Our tour of Marshall begins where else but the Governor's Mansion. Now a museum, the mansion was built in 1839, when the city fully expected to be chosen as the state's capital. It never saw a governor as its resident, but the builder, James Wright Gordon, became Michigan's third governor. It's a gorgeous Greek revival house, complete with Doric columns, and it fits Marshall's aesthetic beautifully. These days, it's a museum owned by the Daughters of the American Revolution. You can visit Sundays from 1 to 5, June through Labor Day, barring pandemic. Oh, pandemic. There are a few apparitions seen by staff in the building. A little girl appears on the service stairs, evidently only showing up after the outhouse was excavated and items pulled from the site. Yeah, you hear about this a lot. Uh, Reminds me of the MSU tour when the archaeologist society talked about how great bathrooms and outhouses are for excavating. Like, they're awesome, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah, wear gloves and a mask. Oh, yeah. People throw the strangest, or through the strangest things into I the I bet you they still do, but it's just not something, like, we just we don't, just don't actively know. go through. We'll find out in a hundred years <laughs> when they excavate our porta potty sites. From, like, rent, can you imagine from sports... Uh, from like games and like rent fairs and stuff where oh. they have just the giant section of porta potties. Oh. Especially the rent fair ones when they're gonna find like a bunch of like weapons and shit. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna be really confused. And they're gonna be like, we don't understand what people in ancient times <laughs> used to do with these highly outdated weapons. Yeah. Uh, so an older woman is witnessed upstairs and she likes to mess up bed sheets, which is also that's a common thing you hear a lot too messing up bed sheets. Staff have said that they can make up the bed, turn on for just a moment, and turn back to find the sheets in disarray, as if someone has been sitting on them. So, wrinkled. Uh, According to the book Haunted Marshall by Brian Mason, 
Um, several mediums have identified the older woman as Mrs. Gordon, uh, but as far as I know, there's no proof one way or the other that it's actually Mrs. Gordon wandering the house. That's just what they say. I wonder why bedsheets. Is that just because they're easier to manipulate? I think we have this obsession with like really straight sheets. We do. It's weird. Really flat sheets, like military precision. So it's maybe more obvious. Oh, true. Oh, you would never know if there was a ghost in my house. No, me neither. <laughs> like if so, if uh, if an invisible being sits on a couch, you're maybe not going to notice That's as much. True. Whereas a flat bed, especially in a, in a place like this, they're going to have very flat sheets. Yeah, it's going to be very precise and beautiful that's and immaculate. Because that's yes. yeah, that's one of the claims I think on the Queen Mary, because mm. it's a hotel now. Right. Um, that there is something that likes to come in and super mess up the sheets and be on its little Mary Poltergeist way. Yeah, and that could be. You know, I'm sure even uh, live people, when they, like, sit on a bed and, like, roll around, do, around on the bed and do things on a oh, bed, yeah. it's going to annoy the crap out of whoever has to make that bed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you can't see who it is, it's just going to really piss you off. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, no, my parents would not be thrilled. <laughs> nope. Despite that, I never learned to make my bed. Our next stop is the Clinton T. Cook House. This Queen Anne was built in 1886 by Clinton T. Cook one of the area's first grocers. There's not a lot of info available on the house itself, but it's a beautiful red and white mansion, complete with a widow's walk adorning the top. One of the ghosts here likes to play with a toy cash register that's been passed from owner to owner as the house exchanged hands. Uh, it seems no one has gotten rid of the toy, and as of 2018, and as far as we know, it sits in the attic where it can still be heard from time to time. The owners who first discovered the phenomenon attributed it to the ghost of Clinton Cook liking to play with it, and it seems the owners after were willing to indulge the spirit as well. And that's a story Brian Mason talks about in Haunted Marshall, which I'm going to talk up because the book is wonderful and you should totally buy it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, I can't say it's all I've ever wanted out of a book, but it is very close. Mm. Um, and he's pretty cool. I've actually talked to him a couple of times very briefly on Facebook. Um, he's working on another book too, which I'm looking forward to. Yay! We're just going to buy his whole bibliography. Yeah. This was one of my first pandemic purchases, I think. Because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get it out of the library. Yeah. <laughs> the library's closed down, so I was like, screw it, I'm just going to buy it. <laughs> Forget it. Um, own it. Yeah, it was like, as soon as the library's closed, I thought, no! <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to research? Yeah, so I, I bought it, and it's, it's great, because then owning it, I can, of course, mark pages and take notes and things. And it's Yeah, I, I highly recommend this book to anyone interested in Haunted Michigan. Yeah, it's and great. So thank you, Brian Mason, for putting this book together. Thank you for helping us make this podcast. Yeah. So back to Clinton T. Cookhouse. Footsteps can be heard when no one else is around. Doors open and shut, of course. Water taps turn on and off and evidently have nearly overflowed the tub in the bathroom. Sounds a little like crazy wisdom. Yeah, it does. There's even a story of the spirit, or one of them, saving a man's life. In January 2013, one of the owners was asleep in the living room. He woke to an unseen force, in quotes, punishing, pushing him. Punishing him, take that. <laughs> he woke to an unseen force pushing him. He woke up and smelled smoke and discovered an electric blanket in the bedroom had been left plugged in and was now on fire. Watch out for those. He put out the fire, but there was severe smoke damage to the home and unfortunately the family lost pets to it. No. Which makes me so sad. Um, but, um, I mean, imagine if he hadn't been woken up by something. It could have been much worse. This is why I don't like electric blankets. Why are those a thing? Um, 
or why were those a thing back when we had even worse plugs and wires? Yeah. Oh, well, and this was a, a 1886 house, so right. like, I'm, I'm sure it had updated wiring, but, but like, still. maybe not updated enough. I was going to say, mm. judging from, I grew up in a house from the 50s, and like the wiring wasn't good enough. So. Right. <laughs> our house is vintage mid-70s wiring. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't worry, our future house will be too. Uh, the next building is one you may have heard of. The Honolulu House is a gorgeous piece of architecture and stands out from the rest of the city. It was built in 1860 by Abner Pratt, former Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court, then United States Counsel to Hawaii in the 1850s. Built to resemble Iolani Palace in Honolulu, Pratt was hoping to reconstruct his, his way of life back in Hawaii in his home state of Michigan. Good luck. The house is a beautiful blend of Polynesian, Victorian, and Gothic Revival and Italianate architecture blended together flawlessly, and the walls were decorated with tropical paradise scenes because in the middle of January, you just want to stare at some nice tropical plants. Yeah. And dream. Yeah. When, just dream. And when you can't leave your house or travel, you just dream. There's some controversy over the house. It's pretty... Uh, fascinating history too. We'll get into some of it, but um, um, so this is even beyond its reported hauntings. There's some controversy. Judge Pratt was accused of fraud during his time in Hawaii, and it's possible he stole government money and used it to build the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy is crazy. You gotta look him up. There were several thousand dollars missing from the government fund for the consulate in Hawaii, which was often under question for its higher spending than other consulates. And reportedly, Pratt had been asked a few times to return money that had been missing on the government's registers. This money had come from the government itself, as well as from hospitalized sailors who kept their money at the consulate while they received treatment. Uh, it seems that while the consulate was under investigation, Pratt left six months before word arrived to Hawaii. He had asthma, and the tropical air was doing him no favors. Though I can't imagine Michigan weather did him any favors either. No, <laughs> it's not nearly as humid, true, but it's still humid. I, yeah, it's like I, I'm on singular right now, so I just right. He can't needed imagine. to go to Arizona. <laughs> uh, so it's it's still unclear if Pratt was a recipient of that stolen money, but it's rumored that he used the funds to build Honolulu House. In any case, he didn't live long enough to really enjoy it. Unfortunately, he died in 1863 of pneumonia after traveling through bad weather from Lansing to Marshall. See, bad. Michigan is bad, bad for your bad. lungs. <laughs> bad for your lungs. And all of this comes from the National Archives Prologue magazine in an article titled Abner Pratt and Michigan's Honolulu House. Look it up. It's wonderful. It is such a crazy story. Like, yeah, Pratt it's... was such a swindler. Yeah. <laughs> he misappropriated so many people's money. Yeah, it's wild. That's your fun Michigan history trivia for you today. Yeah. There'll be more. There'll be more. <laughs> we have a lot to cover. Uh, it seems, however, that Pratt wasn't the only one who loved the vibe of the house. There are two ghosts attributed to the place. The first is thought to be Carrie Cameron, a daughter of a later owner of the Honolulu house. She can sometimes be seen in pictures taken on the staircase her family added onto the house wearing her wedding dress. The other is a descendant of a man named Adam Crosswhite, who we'll talk about in just a moment, uh, and a former servant of the house. Jesse Graham is claimed to be the person still baking bread in the kitchens, which haven't been used in decades. Occasionally, you can smell fresh bread in the home, and that's the kind of ghost I want. Oh, I'd be hungry all the time. I want that one. Just have it smelling great all the time. 
I just want to mention too, this house is a single story. They built. Oh yeah. <laughs> they built a staircase to nowhere. It leads to like a lookout, yeah. which you can see when you look at the house uh, from the front. <laughs> and they just wanted they wanted it for pictures, so that she could pose on it. Yep. For her <laughs> wedding. Yeah. They built it strictly for ten minutes. Yeah. Daddy dreamed of this beautiful picture for his daughter and <laughs> built a false staircase. Can you imagine having the kind of money to build a staircase specifically for a wedding? No. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I'd always heard it as the staircase to nowhere, but it, it technically does go somewhere, just yeah. no place useful. And for being such a grand staircase, to only go to a, a kind of lookout, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's overdone. It's... <laughs> a little bit. You know what would have worked just as well? The stairs at the front of the house. Yeah, because you go it, it's technically, yes, it's two stories. There's a kind of a basement level. It's a half sunken kind of basement from what I remember. And yeah, you, call you, it, you go up these stairs. Yes. Yeah, they call it, uh, when I rented the apartment, they called it garden level. Yes. Was it's when a, it's half sunken in the ground yes, to get away from calling it a basement. Garden level, which I believe was where the kitchens were. And, I think so. Uh, things like that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> The staircase does not go from the garden level to the main level. And you do have to go upstairs to get to the main level. Yeah. Use that for your wedding. No. Rich people? No. Had to be a curved staircase. You can't see the look I'm giving Presto, but like... <laughs> you can hear it in the silence. Uh, so th there was a point in the house's recent past, as it, it's now a museum as well, you can go there, uh, that relics from the Civil War were stored there. During their stay, the elevator, or I said it went from the basement to the main floor, the elevator started going to floors on its own and opening its doors at random. One employee decorating for Christmas described a box of ornaments flying across the room and breaking. According to Brian Mason, when a psychic medium walked through the house, she said that the cause of the activity was a disapproving spirit who was attached to a sword that was on display. Disapproving of what? Christmas? I don't know. <laughs> decorating? Merriment? What do you care? You're a sword now. Yeah. Maybe it was a, a southern sword and he didn't like being in the north. <laughs> I don't know. It's okay, man. Just pretend you're in Hawaii. I mean, Marshall does have a great history uh, leading up to the Civil War, so. Yep. We're going to talk about that, too. It's pretty infamous. Or would have been. Would have been infamous back then. And I, I just want... It's something that's always... I don't want to say weirded me out, but I've been curious about how spirits can get attached to physical objects. Yeah. I would like to know the logistics of it. Obviously, I never will. I mean, there are lots of, um, certainly lots of fiction stories about people uh, haunting antiques, haunted antiques. Yeah. Um, old jewelry. The original owner still haunts the jewelry. In fact, my ring, uh, my wedding ring that was also my engagement ring, is an antique. It's 100 years old. And that was one of the first things that popped in my head. <laughs> I was like, oh, I hope it's not haunted. <laughs> and other people said that to me, too. Granted, I worked at Crazy Wisdom. Yeah. And so you were on those kinds of people. Um, but no, people said, like, oh, aren't you worried it's, it's haunted? Not really. I mean, the thought had entered my head, but was I worried about it? No. You're like, well, I wasn't until now. And <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> think the only reason it entered my head is because I watched a lot of spooky TV shows right. when I was a kid and, and read a lot of scary books. Right. Um, there are some some 
I, I would argue famous haunted objects. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, George being one of them. Yeah. Any haunted doll, really. Yeah, George the doll is a pretty famous story and also creepy as heck. Like, I, I don't like even looking at pictures of George. Nothing in the yeah. paranormal really scares me. Mm-hmm. But I really don't like looking at pictures of him. Um, if you don't know who George is, look it up. It's a huge long story. But essentially, there is some kind of spirit or something going on with this doll. And he is a very unhappy doll. And he has spawned many horror movies. Yes. Many, many, many horror movies. Um, in fact, there was one not that long ago that yeah. was specifically about George. Yeah. I can't think of what it's called. I don't even yeah. want to say his name. He, like, freaks me out. And then, of yeah. course, um, Greg and Dana Newkirk have an entire traveling museum de- dedicated to haunted objects. Yes. <laughs> so... Yes. And they're, they're in Ohio, aren't they? Based in Ohio? They're in Cincinnati. Yeah. So they're not that far from us. Hi, Newkirks. We'll be friends one day. That's not a threat. It's just a promise. <laughs> I, I'm not creepy, I swear. Sorry. Never, don't listen to this. Was Annabelle... That was another doll, too, right? Annabelle is the one um, that looks like the Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. And that's a, uh, that was another horror movie. In fact, didn't they make a horror movie named Annabelle? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is um, That's the movie... Because uh, this is in Ed and Lorraine Warren's... Um, yeah, like haunted, haunted crap museum. Yes, that's um, right. and that's where Annabelle lives, and so they made the Annabelle movie that has, you know, yep. portrayals yep. of of the Warrens. Controversial figures. We're not gonna get into it. No, nope. I could literally spend all day talking about it, and I'm just not gonna. <laughs> We're well, talking about Marshall. We'll have to set up a Discord server, and then <laughs> you can hold lectures. <laughs> I, great. Think, I think you mean rants of a crazy person. Lectures. Yeah. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, uh, Marshall? Marshall. Uh, the National House Inn has been a stop for weary travelers since it was built in 1835. First, it served those traveling by stagecoach from Detroit to Chicago and back. And then when the railroad came through, it provided respite for those on the same journey just now on rails. It has been everything from a wagon factory to an apartment building until it became a bed and breakfast once again in the 1970s. During the 1800s, it was a stop on the Underground Railroad, uh, putting to use a hidden room in the basement as well as one at a phone booth. The National House Inn's website describes it this way. On the first floor of the inn, there is a telephone booth. There was originally a closet with a wooden door. At the back of this closet is a trap door. Behind the trap door is iron grating or grillwork that sits in the risers between the stairs. Someone could sit in the closet and look through the grillwork, down the hall, out the glass front door, across the park circle, to the building used as the livery in the 1800s. But from the outside, nobody could see the inside through the grillwork in the closet. What a perfect hiding place to put a lookout. And creepy, but in this case used for very good things. Yeah, I think, it's, I think that's a cool story. That's <laughs> kind of neat. This location has a good number of experiences attached to it, and the origin seems to come from a 1976 when the inn was being renovated into a bed and breakfast according to our best friends over at 99.1 wfmk i feel like we need to send those guys a thank you card (laughs) anyway (laughs) the first reported haunting is that of a lady in red told you we'd get to her and that is a reference to our first season (laughs) go back and check out our ladies in white the so the first haunting is of the lady in red who started appearing after the renovations began 
According to MichiganHauntedHouses.com, she is in the windows at night and as well as roaming the halls. Apparently, she likes one room in particular and much prefers when the door to it is closed. We actually took the ghost tour in Marshall some years ago, and in Krista's blog, uh, she describes the tour guide as saying that the woman in red likes to terrorize women who stay in her room, but she also likes giving men who stay a good time. We'll leave that up to you to discover what that means. But a story told by Mason in his book gives us just a little glimpse of what male guests might experience in their room. It was the oil spill of 2011, and Marshall was flooded with people working on the pipeline. The hotels and inns were packed, leaving no room for visitors most nights. The supervisor told me that his employee came to work one day after staying at the National House Inn. His face was, quite literally, as pale as a ghost. When asked, the employee told the story of how he awoke at 4 a.m. to a woman in a red dress straddling him in bed with her face just inches from his, staring into his eyes. He claimed that the two stared at each other for many seconds before she vanished. He said he could even feel the weight of her body on his. He quickly packed his belongings and left petrified and refused to stay there again. The supervisor had to find him different lodging and was interested to know if a woman in a red dress had ever been reported. Of course, I indulged him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mason was um, the one, I believe, who started the haunted tours that we... Oh, yeah, The haunted right. tour that we took yeah. when we were in Marshall. Um, yeah. I, he's since sold the company. I don't know what's up with that. Of course, right now, during a pandemic, nothing is up with anything. Right, nothing's <laughs> up with that. But, uh, yeah, that's worth investigating. And uh, we did hear some of the stories in the book on the tour. So since you can't take that tour, definitely, definitely pick up his book. Oh, yeah. Support him. According to Mason, who interviewed one of the owners of the National House Inn, a little boy named Jason was confirmed to still wander the halls. A paranormal group from the University of Michigan visited before renovation started and found out or gave, we don't know, the little boy the name. He is described as wearing period dress from the 1800s and likes to make himself known to people. He's described as wanting to be seen by anyone. There have also been smells in the in the blue room of smoke and heavy floral perfume. That's one thing that I find interesting is smells are so often associated with hauntings. Yeah. Um, tobacco smoke is a big one. Yeah. Um, in older homes like this one. Um, heavy floral perfume, like rose water. Mm -hmm. Women used to use rose water all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of fun. And I think in... When I talked to Greg, I think he was the one that mentioned, you know, is it happening in our minds or is it really physically in the room? Because not everyone always smells it right. when it's there. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, that's fun. That's that, interesting. That happened um, in uh, my house once after my mom passed away. I was just walking down the hall towards, I can't remember if I was going to my room or going to my dad's room, but uh, it smelled very strongly of her perfume. Just in one little section of the hallway. Yep. And it was just that. Not, not like, in my room. Not, you know, down the hall that I came from. Just one little spot. It was just kind of a nice reminder. Mm -hmm. Yep. And my mom uh, has mentioned several times about smelling her grandmother's perfume. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, is it actually there or is it something that our brains created to give us that reminder? It's interesting. I don't know. And especially in a case like this, at the inn, it's not someone you know. Right. Like, it with my mother, it was her grandmother. She made that association, oh, that's grandma's perfume. Yeah. With you, it was your mother. Mm -hmm. In a place like the inn, Which, what's that? Tobacco smoke, the smell of tobacco lingers in anything it touches. 
it doesn't <laughs> surprise me that a super old inn that had a bunch of people stay in it and live in it over the years. They probably had a smoking room for the gentlemen. I'm and, sure they yeah. did. Or just because it wasn't the modern times allowed smoking anywhere. <laughs> so it totally doesn't surprise me if the smoke part, at least. I don't know how, how much perfume stays. It doesn't surprise me, though, if the, if the tobacco smoke was there. That's true. Especially uh, after renovations. Yeah. Remember that all this started after renovations. Yeah. Friends, so. And you've, like, exposed all the beams that all the smoke got into. Because it will get anywhere. We cleaned That's my true. grandmother's house after she passed away. And that entire family was smokers. And I'm pretty sure the walls still bleed tobacco. Yep. Well, it is not only uh, the buildings in Marshall that have strange happenings. Oak Ridge Cemetery has apparently been a great place to capture some EVPs, but it's also got at least one spirit attached to it that made waves across the country. Michigan was a big player in the Underground Railroad. I hope you all knew that. I really hope you all knew that. <laughs> but just in case. Yes. A network of help across the country from the South that helped escaped slaves find freedom in the North and into Canada. One such family the Underground Railroad helped was the Crosswhites. Adam Crosswhite, we mentioned him before, and his family came to Marshall as escaped slaves. They settled in well and became well-liked by the town. A group of men led by Francis Troutman were hired by the Crosswhites' former owners to bring them back to the south. The Crosswhites were attacked at their home, but the town wasn't going to let them go so easily. They rallied around Adam and his family. Troutman and his gang were arrested and charged with assault, battery, and housebreaking. And while they were held, the townspeople got the Crosswhites on a carriage to Canada. They did eventually return, however, saying that Marshall was the only place they really felt welcome. The Crosswhites were buried in Oak Ridge Cemetery, and even now, apparently you can see the apparition of a man standing with a little boy over Adam's grave. People have attributed the sighting... People have attributed... I hate that word. This is... I'm never using that word again. <laughs> My lips cannot say this word. People have attributed this sighting to this being Adam and his son. And there's a great website that we'll post in our show notes of a group that compiled a list of evidence caught at the cemetery and other places in Marshall and Michigan. It, it includes my favorite EVB of all time. <laughs> yeah, they have quite a few. This incident led to the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, an act in which escaped slaves in the North could be taken back by slavers in the South. Um, this is the very simplified version. If you really want to know more, look it up. Yeah. Uh, the book, A History of Marshall, explains the case did not even end there with Crosswhite. Henry Clay, then the United States Senator from Kentucky, took the case into the Senate and advanced the necessity of a more stringent fugitive slave law. As one account says, the riotous scenes enacted near the humble Crosswhite Cottage received, natural, received national consideration. The law of 1793, which had stood for over 45 years, was deemed too lenient because of the Marshall Affair. The result of Clay's efforts was the passage of the 1850 Fugitive Slave Law, which has been described as the most damnable law that ever received the sanction of the American Congress. I think I agree. Yeah, it was pretty... <laughs> Jeez, that, it's, uh, it was awful. Um, there was another, the, it says the law of 1793, there was another fugitive slave law, but it didn't account for those who like lived in the North. It was like, these people have been here for years. <laughs> you can't take them now. Uh, I do think it's very cool that Michigan raised such a ruckus that they that a guy from Kentucky took it all the way to Congress. Right. And I, I think probably not too many people in Michigan are aware of that, and they should be. Yeah. <laughs> the, treasury, anyway. the number of um, unsavory flags I see flying, like, 
Yeah. Talk about spitting on the graves of your ancestors. Yeah, just, this, this past year has kind of proven that I think a lot of places in the north and everywhere in the south needs to be reminded of history and yeah and that's a this is another great story to look up to um i think we can probably link to some some links too in yeah. the show notes um yeah there's but, definitely more to the cross white story than what we've said we're just on a time schedule and this is about hauntings not necessarily yeah. about history but I, I definitely urge people to to look that up because it's it's pretty amazing there were some lawsuits that came out of it and uh yeah yeah and know your history uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking Please. at you country folk who just say, oh, the Confederate flag just means I'm proud to be from the country. No, you're That's from not... the country in Michigan. That's not how that works. <laughs> the country doesn't mean the South. No. Yeah, that's another thing. A lot of ghost hunters are white. A lot of them are men. A lot of them are white men. Um, and they you know. get very excited, which is great. But do remember that these are people or were people, don't go overboard, and especially don't get excited when you find, like, the ghosts of enslaved people. Like, there's some really problematic stories. Like, they're not there for your entertainment. Right. If there really are ghosts of enslaved people on plantations, that's terrible. Like, that, they're, you know, slavery goes into the afterlife. That's, that's horrible. So just, again, please be mindful and be respectful, especially mm. if you're going into this graveyard looking for the ghost of a black man like it's a ghost of a person he was a person he's a very famous person and sounds like a very cool person as well mm-hmm. um so please be respectful let's treat everyone alive or dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> with respect and humanity and this guy's like a michigan treasure <laughs> oh yeah that i've said i didn't know about until doing the research for this i'm also not from here and i'm gonna use that as an excuse even though it's not and i i was <laughs> aware of it and i'm I think we did talk about it in school, but I don't think it was part of the regular curriculum. I think we had just gotten to that point in school and the teacher was like, oh, hey, by the way, did you all know this happened in Michigan? Yeah. And it was like, what? What? She's like, yeah. Carry on with lesson. You know, it, oh, yeah. it wasn't yeah. like a, we weren't taught it. It was like an aside. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Because I, I did grow up very close to this area. So. Oh, yeah. Totally. That's probably the only reason. And it probably, if I didn't have that teacher... I might not have known at all. And, oh, we're not even halfway through with Marshall. <laughs> nope. <laughs> For now, this is a good place to pause. Our next episode will conclude the rest of the buildings in Marshall that have activity so that this episode isn't three hours long. Yeah, we got a little long with some of the quarantine ones. Yeah, that's fine. But we were under quarantine. So what else are we going to yeah. do? What else was anyone doing? What else were you people doing? Nothing. Listen to the podcast. I know some people were working, but uh, I wasn't. Nope, you weren't. Hopefully by the time this has come out, I have a job. We'll see. I start in-person work, in-building work um, this week. Nice. But it's only like three hours every two weeks, so, (laughs) you know. I will be working from home for a while. Yep, I think that's what this year has been. (laughs) I've caught up on all of my podcasts. I have not. (laughs) Um, So we want to thank you again, to our listeners who make what we do worth it. Thank you to Kellowin from freesound.org for the theme music, and thank you so much to our wonderful new editor, Eric Conkey, for the amazing sound design he gives us. And he's available for work friends. Let us know, hook you up. As always, we'll have our sources in the show notes. Go check out some of the awesome EVPs captured in Oak Ridge Cemetery. And as always, 
Happy haunting.